You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. Hi, everybody. This is Liz Cook at Core Awareness. And I'm glad you've joined me for a free uh, conference call with Alice Stewart-Walt. And I do these uh, as podcasts eventually, so all of you who join me, as well as people you'd like to share the conversation with, you'll be able to find it online um, on my website, coreawareness.com, under podcasts. And there's a whole history of podcasts, and I really encourage you to check it out and listen to them. Many of them, uh, all of them, are fabulous free education for you that intersect my interest in the psoas with whatever the person's expertise is. This is a little bit unusual for my tele-seminars. Not that Alice doesn't have her own expertise, but I actually wanted to interview Alice because of her life experience. I want to go over her grueling childhood and 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 how it propelled her or how she found the capacity to regenerate her life in, in miraculous, to me miraculous ways, because sometimes our childhood conditioning, the experiences we have shape us to such an extent that we really can't continue to blossom or thrive or we struggle with those issues all of our life. And I, I feel like Alice is one of the healthiest people I know on the face of the earth. Uh, great spirit, great capacity to learn and to teach. Um, she's a certified neurofascial therapist, a strength trainer. Um, she studied Mayan uterine massage and became a therapist. She's also um, an herbalist and and uh, studied with Susan Weed. Um, she's taken this into a practice of yoga and fitness for nearly 20 years. And she's also um, been a steward of 50 acres of a hardwood forest in her hometown of Lawrence, Kansas. And I believe her property is outside of Lawrence, actually. I'll let her tell you that. But um, So she's traveled around the world, and she's so interesting because she's gone to India, and she's gone to South America, and she's traveled various places, brought this wise woman, plant medicine, um, just experienced cultural diversity, the native uh, wisdom traditions. I mean, she has gone the globe looking for things that will heal her, and then she brings it home, integrates it into her own life, and teaches it to her community. So in this little town of Lawrence, Kansas, she's just funneling in the world like a, like a portal to the rest of the universe. She has become this portal for her community. And I'm so thrilled to have met Alice. She came and met me um, in California first, took a workshop, and then has been working with me for the past two years. And just recently, she uh, traveled with me as my teaching assistant in Australia. Um, 
which was also a, a transformational journey in itself um, for both of us. And it's been fabulous what she's brought to my workshops and what she's brought to people's understanding of the SOAS. And we're excited because we're actually going to teach a workshop together this, this month. Um, it's a women's retreat. So we thought we'd also talk about that a little bit um, and things that we'll be covering because I think it's unusual to get into a combination of restoration and strength training simultaneously and how do you blend those two. So we'll be touching base on that. But I want to begin with Alice's history. So I welcome you, Alice. Thank you for joining me. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Hi. Yes, I can. Yeah, so thank you for joining me. So I'd like to begin by um, asking you a very simple question. Where did it all begin for Alice? Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your mom and dad, and who they were, where you grew up. Uh, the journey started in Junction City, Kansas, which is a military town in central Kansas. My mother um, actually was born in China, but uh, because of the war, ended up moving to Japan. But her father died before they got there. My father met her um, at Camp Fukuoka in Japan. And so they were there for a while, and then they moved to the United States to Fort Riley slash Junction City, which um, he was stationed at Fort Riley and, and soon retired after that, but that's where they ended up staying, and that's where I was born. So tell us a little bit about Fort Riley, because what I've heard is it was a gnarly kind of hellhole of a town. It was a gnarly hellhole of a town. Um, I feel like it was a town that survived um, on the war, and it was a melting pot, which I thought was you know interesting from that perspective, but I felt... On some level, it was like a town that was, um, everyone had PTSD. I mean, between the fathers that had gone to war and not quite recovered, mothers that came from different cultures that moved there trying to, you know, find a better life for themselves and trying to fit in. I just felt like um, there, there really were no feelings. Everybody was struggling just to survive. And so I think it made for um, a pretty tough little hellhole. It had the highest crime rate for a town its size. I think there came a point when, you know, there probably were military men that had more integrity and then ended up with the kind of people, kind of men that it was either the penitentiary or go to Junction City or Fort Riley and go into the service the army so the type of men that were going into the service or station there really declined so it really made it a little tougher there yeah and you told me that around the corner of your home was a mm -hmm. uh was a, a brothel a brothel uh, yes so right, tell me right about what that was like yeah right in the backyard so what was that like growing up in well it i thought it was interesting. I mean, between, I, I remember as a kid, a woman coming to the door beaten up, wanting in to, you know, for safety and, you know, called the police. She had, she had been beaten up pretty bad and shook up. And this was the kind of stuff that went on. I mean, there were, you know, people passed out on the streets. The east side of town, there was like a little Harlem and that people were being killed there all the time. And, you just learn to not feel and walk away from things. We did help the woman, but, yeah, this stuff was going on all the time. There were drug houses everywhere making money off the GIs. So between prostitution and drugs, it was a pretty tough scene. Yeah, and you became a young woman there. Yes, I grew up in that. And what was, and, what was um, that it was like? really – I don't know. I felt like on some level it was – tr I've always tried to flip things over. It was the only way I could survive. What is that So mean? trying to find some life lesson in all that experience is how I – I think how I coped. 
So that's just a spirit you had, or did your parents have that attitude? No. Well, I think my mother had a spirit of survival. I think for um, a woman from another country, my dad died when I was nine. And so she really had to, you know, step up. And actually, she was the first woman in Junction City, to a, an Asian woman, to acquire a driver's license. And so she could drive to Manhattan and go to cosmetology school. So she was a very driven, spirited woman herself. But I think in her survival mode, uh, there was a lot of madness that started happening for her. Just, you know, working way too much, being disconnected. So she really wasn't, she wasn't there for me because she was, you know, trying to provide for us. She was there for me that way, providing a roof over my head, but emotionally... She wasn't available at all. She had her own struggles going on. So where did you find emotional support, or did you? How did, you, how did that work out for you? Well, it, it was a struggle. I remember um, starting a martial arts class when I was, um, I don't know, I think I was 12, and I felt that physical exertion really helped me and mm-hmm. nature. All I wanted to do was be outside because I felt like, Nature healed me and supported me. It was feeding me in a way that I wasn't, nurturing me in a way that I I wasn't getting at home. So I found myself wanting to be outside all the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great, but there's a deep wisdom in that child already of understanding that. Well, you know, and I remember when my dad was alive, he, I would go fishing with him and spent a lot of time with him outside. And so when he passed, I I remember fishing with him once and him taking me to this water that was coming out of the hill. And it was the first time of drinking wild water. Oh, you drank wild water. Well, we know what Harold would say about that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so I really felt that that stuck with me. Yes, he left me, but he gave me the gift of the wild. So So I think that's what really supported me for years. And then I actually started working um, in a nursing home when I was 16 as a restorative aide. And I feel that the act of giving and caring for others really helped me out a lot also. Just participating. And did your mom tell you to go do that, or did you just find no, that? No, no, I just felt like, um, you know, she she was busy in her life, and I was, you know, at that age, at that time, six, you could get a job at 16, so I, there was a nursing home uh, two blocks away, and I walked over there and took a training to become a nurse's aide and a restorative aide. Because, mm-hmm. actually, after my father died, my mother had to take care of a woman she worked for. So I spent from the age of 10 to 12 in a nursing home every single night. And I just found some great wisdom from hanging out with my elders. Wow. It was, it, I, I think it was a really good thing for me. But I think when I became a nurse's aide and restorative aide, I really became aware of the aging process right. and the journey that if you didn't, if you didn't really deal with your stuff, whether physical, physically or emotionally, you, you would become what you didn't deal with in life. Mm. Say that again. You'd become what you didn't deal with in your life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that was huge for me, witnessing and caring for him. I got a lot of joy, you know, out of being helping because... Um, I, I don't know, there was just something in me that felt like on some level that I was kind of born to serve and to kind of get over what wasn't but to participate. And between the earth and nature supporting me and, you know, being a part of these people's lives that were abandoned. And at that time, they were more like poor farms. These were people that had no family. Wow. And so I think on some level, I related to that. Yeah. Because it was just me and my mom. Well, what, so that was a huge impact. What, what was it? For me. What, were you with your dad when he died? No. 
No, I wasn't. He um, he actually died of an enlarged heart, and I think his generation, where the Vietnam vets had enlarged livers, yeah. his generation had enlarged hearts. So whatever they were contaminated, whatever contaminants they were exposed to affected their heart, made their heart swell. So he had a sad story. My mother had a story, sad story. I felt like I was living in a town that had a sad story. So I just felt like I needed to get to a different place, and I could see what happened if you became attached to your story. And I witnessed what happened if you became a victim to your story. I mean, so for a lot of the people in that town, they either ended up in jail but they ended up as addicts and alcoholics. And I had my own journey with addiction. Yes, let's go there because you were very young. And I don't know which started first, the drugs or when you were raped, but tell your story of being a teenage girl. Well, I feel like there was nobody at home. And, you know, I think the streets kind of call your name Mm -hmm. when there's no one at home. So I, and like I said, there were drug houses everywhere and then I started doing um you know some LSD just trying to expand myself and you know not really knowing what I was doing it took me deeper into nature it really woke nature up for me in a whole different way and at that time I became a vegetarian because I started connecting with food it really started helping me connect to nature in a grander way. I could feel the vibration of the earth and all of the plant world came alive for me. And um, then as time went on, I I think maybe when I was in 11th grade, no, I was a senior, um, there was one of the kids in my class, mother actually sold heroin to the GIs. And that was my first experience with heroin in school. Wow. Wow. And actually, I think that year, before that happened, I was actually kicked out of school because I refused to eat the food there. Once I started um, just expanding and seeing food and vibration in a different way, I refused to eat at school, and I would go home or go out. And um, actually, I was spotted eating out at a Mexican restaurant one afternoon, and I was suspended from school. And I told them that I just felt like they were trying to institutionalize me by giving me a tray and feeding me canned foods. So I was always, I was always a little, I, I refused to be conditioned. <laughs> yes, I can hear, I can hear that. Before we head into what happened to you, I want to just let the listeners know what I was talking about, about Harold. Um, There's a beautiful book called uh, The Secret Teachings of Plants, The Intelligence of the Heart in the Direct Perception of Nature by Stephen Harold Buhner. And one of the things he writes in it is this. One of our greatest fears is to eat the wildness of the world. Our mothers intuitively understood something essential. The green is poisonous to civilization. If we eat the wild, it begins to work inside us, altering us, changing us. Soon, if we eat too much, we will no longer fit the suit that has been made for us. Our hair will begin to grow long and ragged. Our gait and how we hold our body will change. A wild light begins to gleam in our eyes. Our words start to sound strange, nonlinear, emotional, unpractical, poetic. Once we have tasted this wildness, we begin to hunger for a food long denied us. And the more we eat of it, the more we will awaken. I love that. And you've met him. You met this man. So take us back to the time where here you are experimenting with drugs and tell us tell me the tell people the story you told me about how the men looked at you from the age of twelve in your town, what you felt as a young woman. Oh 
it, well, they were like predators out there. And I remember being at the gas station down the street, and somebody said, you know, if I give you a I phone call for a dime then, if I give you a dime, will you call me when you're old enough? And I said, you know, by the time I'm old enough, I think it'll probably be a quarter. <laughs> Good for you. And I remember on my bicycle one day and somebody driving past me and saying, I wish my face were that bicycle seat. I mean, it was just constant. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was so sad. And then I, when I was young and my mother had a beauty shop, I'd say I was about uh, 10, and there was a bus boy, a black bus boy, and he said to me as I was picking up my mother's food, my mother's lunch, he says, I want you. And I just, you know, picked up the food and left. Well, that's the gentleman who raped me when I was 17. And so he was actually a pimp. He ended up becoming a pimp at that phase or that age, and I just think he thought if I he knew that I was playing around in the drug scene that if he if I was addicted or strung out enough that I would work for him. But I in the process of overdosing me, I really I I think I acquired even more strength through that process. That I wasn't gonna let somebody, you know, do that to me. I mean, yes, he had to overdosed me in order to wear my body. I couldn't fight. I couldn't fight back. But I felt like through that process, once again, there was something in me that life gives me these these really bizarre situations, and I just refused to become a victim. And so I never said anything to anyone because I felt like all it would do was shame my mother and that somehow... This was part of my journey, and I had to work through all of this. I just owned that I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Shit happens, and I just, I've got to heal myself. And not until I, I think I was probably in my, I think I was about 25 when I realized I was filled with so much anger that, if I didn't do something, that I would be a mess by the time I was 40. And so that's actually when I found Marsha Paladin, the continuum movement teacher. But before I met her, I actually became a fitness and, um, I became a fitness um, instructor, and that led me to um, the strength training. But it's the martial arts that I use to break my addiction. I kickboxed my way clean. I just fought. I fought to find myself. Find the warrior. Well, she was definitely there. You know, that's been my journey of just trying to, you know, I I didn't, I, I saw what happened if you didn't do the work. And I felt like as long as I stayed physical, I would be okay because I was moving those emotions. But then when I realized at 25 that I really couldn't articulate what was going on with me, that I had something else to work on. And then that's when I sought out Marsha Paladin. Tell me a little bit about that. And for those of you who aren't familiar with continual movement, you can look it up. Uh, online at continuummovement.com. The creator is Emily Conrad, and Emily comes from a, a, a powerful story herself uh, uh, out of out of Brooklyn, New York, Jewish, and um, and seeing similar, seeing something similar that she knew she didn't want, and and uh, if you read her story, it's called Life on Land. Um, it also tells a, a powerful story of her journey of how she created Continuum. And as she often says when you're with her, I didn't drop from the sky. You know, she's a very practical woman. She had to fight her way into health and, and to, to, to take her life and, and own it and own all of it. And that's out of that came Continuum 
which is a beautiful, beautiful, fluid process of opening to the universe and to the inner life of uh, vibration and resonance and tissue and sensory awareness and feeling and emotions and uh, all of it, all of it in all of it, just opening to all of it, becoming what she would call porous, allowing yourself to experience life, to be life, to be part of life. So tell me what your experience, how did that How did that change you, Alice? Well, I felt like, you know, doing the martial arts and getting into the fitness, it was this whole physical realm, but I needed to go inside and I needed to see and feel inside and, and I just, I wanted to be able to articulate how I felt and what was going on with me because I just felt like I just didn't know how to communicate it. So when I started Working with Marcia, she just took me on this inner journey, and it was so amazing, you know, just to soften me, because I felt like I had all this, you know, all these, all this baggage that was kind of armoring me. And yes, the physical piece was helping, but I needed to soften. And so she worked with breath and sound and movement. And so I started integrating her work into my strength training classes that I was teaching for women because I I believed it was both. It was the strong, it was the soft, and somehow I was trying to find balance in all of it. And I just didn't want to become so hard. And while working with all the women in the gym, I saw how emotional they were. And so I felt like they needed to get more solid so they could be more clear with their emotions. I myself was just trying to con- connect with myself because I just felt like I was, my mother was Asian. You weren't allowed to talk about how you felt about anything. You were just supposed to stuff everything and look look clean and proper. It didn't matter how you felt. And so I struggled with all of that because I wanted to know, I wanted to feel so that's what the continuum work did for me. It helped me tap in to feelings and sensory, soften. So it was it was huge, a huge part of my life. And she must and have then, created a sense of safety for you as well. It was. I'm thinking you know, that young I, girl, it, what made her go? Well, like, how did you meet her? I'm just curious, like, how these things switch, you know? Well, like, she had... I knew she taught at the university, and she opened up this little studio. She was trying to go out on her own and do something private because she was she was different for the university. So she was trying to do this other work outside of the university, and I had heard about her, and I knew I needed help, and I didn't feel like going to a talk therapist was what I needed. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was more of a body person. I was physical, mm-hmm. so I heard about this work that she was doing. And I thought, you know, that sounds like what I need. And uh, it was exactly what I needed. Hmm. So it just found it from the inside out, just feeling you were following something in yourself. Yes. Well, you know what? It was really funny. For years, I I actually walked the alleys. (laughs) And I found her walking down an alley. Wow. Was it just different... (laughs) perspective of life walking down some of the alleys (laughs) wow say more about that so tell me the story you were walking down you used to walk i was walking down an alley and i saw her studio and i thought oh that's that woman i heard about (laughs) oh and she was in her studio was in an alley so we were open oh i love it (laughs) see i think these are really important cues that people need to pick up for themselves I needed to get off the grid. Somehow, there was something out there that I just didn't resonate. You know, the people, I don't know, I just, like I said, as far as conditioning, Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't, I don't know. You tasted the wild water. Right, exactly. So the Mm -hmm. alleys were kind of, it was just a different perspective of a town. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, I was still pretty new. I moved here when I was 17, and this was probably, I'd say when I was 24. And actually, my nickname 
that my father gave me was Alley Cat. Mm. And so I kind of took that to heart and, you know, occasionally would just kind of look at life from the alleys. And so that's how I found Marsha. Wow, that's great. That's great. <laughs> okay, so now you're doing Continuum, and you're, and how is that changing you? What, what's... Well, it was just opening me up from the inside and softening me, and I felt like I was learning how to articulate my feelings, which I was just, I think that was my biggest struggle with my mother is that she just didn't, and it's, and, and it's just being Asian. I understand it. You're just supposed to stuff everything. But somehow I felt that I was becoming explosive with anger because I couldn't access anything, so... Working with Marsha softened me. I was able to communicate better what was going on inside. And I felt uh, a sense of well-being doing the work. And I had really fun. I had a lot of fun integrating it into my strength training classes. Yeah, it, play is powerful part of the healing, Play is isn't very it? powerful. And then I think I next was I, I the realization of, Oh, I'm I'm Eurasian. I, I'm all mixed up. You know, I I grew up in this town that all the mothers kind of had to give up their their way and try to fit in, and so there was no tradition that was passed on. So I thought, well, you know, I'm here in North America. I think I should learn Native wisdom. So I became fascinated with that. Lawrence actually has um, an Indian college here. So there are more Native Americans here than I've ever that I than I had ever seen. So somehow that kind of woke something up for me. So I started doing sweat lodges. Archie Fire Lame Deer, a medicine man who was coming through because his daughter was at Haskell and Leonard Pelletier was at the penitentiary in Leavenworth, so he was coming through on a regular basis doing talks and sweat. And then that was another powerful point in my life of just kind of just going in and going into these lodges and going back to the womb and really, you know, accepting how pitiful we are as people and just trying try to get to a better place by purifying ourselves and chanting and coming together to heal ourselves. I never went back into a church after I started doing sweats. To me, that that became my church. Nature and the sweat lodges became <laughs> my church. Mm-hmm. And then I became interested in the plant medicine. I wanted to know what was around me, so I started, you know, reading about native plant wisdom and plant medicine and. That journey led me to Susan Weed, and I went to the Wise Woman Center. Well, actually, I got married, and it it was it only lasted a year and a half. And I realized that a man or a relationship couldn't make me happy; only I could make me happy. And I could tell that I still had so much baggage within me that I had to keep going. And so I went up to the Wise Woman Center to learn about backyard herbalism, which really sounded fascinating to me, that all your medicine is in your yard. But it was the yeah, same that's, that's, that's pretty, that's a, also very symbolic, you know, that, that, that the, the wisdom to heal is within you. You know, it's literally in your backyard. It's in you. Yes. So, so before that think, happened, though, you, you had some you had some health issues around being pregnant that I would love if you're willing to share because that's partly oh, also sure. what brought you to Susan. Well, when I was married, I the first pregnancy, I actually got married because I got pregnant and trying to satisfy my mother and make her happy. I didn't really feel totally clear or right with it, but I did it. And the first pregnancy was a, they call a blank pregnancy, which was the placenta, but I had no fetus. There was, and so I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then I got pregnant again. 
And I was doing a lot of wheatgrass at that time, and I feel that wheatgrass really makes you fertile. And so I got pregnant again, and that time, the second time, I miscarried. I remember working on someone, and I said, you know, excuse me, I, I've got cramps really bad. I, I need to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I passed a little, little fetus. And it was, and then I realized this marriage really wasn't right, and that I needed, I needed to get out of it, and I needed to find, keep, it, keep looking for myself. <laughs> it was a journey of trying to find myself and heal myself. So I got out of the marriage, and that's I went straight to Susan Weeds, and that was an amazing journey. As far as connecting with the plants and ritual and play and women coming together, supporting each other, all of us trying to heal. We all had something going on, but we came together to heal ourselves and support each other on this journey. So that was my time with Susan, and then Susan introduced me to Grandma Twyla, who was at that time, she was the matriarch of the Seneca Reservation, and she was te- her teachings were the pathway to peace and the cycles of truth and becoming a whole human being. And so it was about tapping in to the colors that you came in on. And in their teachings that we all, we ha- we were all in the field of plenty, in the cosmos. We had everything but touch and experience. So we come down on an array of colors, and those are our attributes. And so I thought this, these teaching, teachings would be fascinating to work with kids because I did have a strong desire to create some sort of uh, group home for kids um, it was a little fantasy that I had that I I knew what it was like to grow up on the streets and that you could survive on the streets, but could you really survive and thrive? And so I thought these might be a really interesting, uh, some interesting teachings to work with kids, but also just find my true self and and. I wanted to live my life in truth. And so this is what my journey has been about, is living as an example of truth. And that's what Grandma Twyla provided for me. And actually, I used, I've used her teachings with high-risk kids through the years. And it's so beautiful because sometimes there's nobody at home to tell you how wonderful you are. Mm-hmm. And so to help those children and all of us, you know, to find a space where we can tap into our our own authenticity and our own beauty. Sometimes you got to just kind of get off the grid and and go to a, a place that you're not so sure about to really find that that support within yourself. So that was a part of the journey up to Woodstock and up into the Seneca Nation. Mm. So yeah, it's been a it's been um, an amazing journey. Just trying to heal. How did they? How, give us one example of how they use the um, the colors. How well, did you, you find your colors? How do you find? Well, your what they do is they throw, you know they put a, a list of colors up, and from one to seven, you pick your favorite color and just go go to seven. The next favorite color, the next. And you know what was fascinating? And then we uh, beaded mandalas with them. Because Grandma b- believed that the teepees were so tall because that's the extraterrestrial beings were going to come down. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, your your little mandala was your pass. Aha! Had to hand in <laughs> your ticket, huh? <laughs> that's your ticket. Well, anyway, so you find your seven colors. And so the teachings also are for, it, there's a moving meditation that's for seven generations. And so their, that was their number that they worked with was seven. Right. Anyway, so you find your seven attributes, your seven colors, and you bead this mandala. And so each color has a positive quality that you hold. And 
it, what was really interesting is when the women finished their mandalas, those were the colors they had on. Oh, wow. They were the colors they were already drawn to mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That was. That is. It's like they were their colors. They are their colors, yeah. We are our colors, yeah. So. And did she talk about the, the what each color represented? Yes, yes. And I, I have those written down. Mm-hmm. And so beautiful. it's just a kind of way of playing, too, and just getting to mm-hmm. explore yourself. But it's just like mantras, and it's just positive, filling yourself up with some something positive. Yes. So you went on to have a beautiful daughter. So tell us a little bit about that journey there, because you had some health issues before that happened. Well, I... I I had the the miscarriage and then you know just my years of um just trying to get into a stronger healthier place and I felt like through the years of trying to get stronger and a connection with food that you know I, I felt like I wanted um I needed a another teacher and that teacher was my daughter and her father was a very good friend of mine, and he was my best friend. And I asked him for her. And um, that was a um, an amazing adventure with him. And, um, yeah, I think I had so many commitment issues because really of where I grew up, I think many of us had a struggle committing because we just, we were just taught not to feel, and so it was just a, a long journey of trying to um, feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so I found somebody I truly felt safe with, and I asked him for my daughter. I asked if he could help me out, and that, it was just the greatest gift any man could, anyone could give me. And so I... And he was had, Native American. He was Native American. He was a full-blood Navajo, and he he knew stories. He enchanted me with storytelling. They grew up without a television. So in their culture, you really... It's not how what you had, but it was how you could tell stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was important. So he... Um, I asked him for my daughter, and then I was pregnant. I knew exactly, I was totally clear about the time and what I was doing, and we were both on on track with it all, and I quit work and moved to New Mexico so he could heal with his family, and I went to herbal school and studied with Michael Moore and Tarona um, Lodog. So I spent uh, seven months, um, doing plant, more plant medicine, and I just felt like I didn't want to work. I just wanted to be in the process of my pregnancy, and so I sat in on lectures, and then we, what, for two months, and then we took the class on a road trip. So that was like a uh, moving vision quest. We were given a map, and we'd show up at this destination, and we'd study plant medicine. So that went on for months through my whole pregnancy. And so that was my gift to my daughter, was to give her the wild mm-hmm. while she was in me. Mm. Perfect. And then I came home and sought out a midwife and... Um, Called three of my girlfriends up and um, had her at home because I was I was I was afraid to go to the hospital. I was afraid they would take my experience away from me. And it was just perfect. It was beautiful and um, it was empowering. And that's really what my journey has been about: is to empower myself and others. You do an amazing job of offering a lot of this to, as you said, to teens at risk and to your community as a whole? Well, I've always felt, um, you know, where I grew up, I always felt that I, you know, that I was misplaced. But when I came to Lawrence, it it was a better fit, and I felt like um, that was part of why I was here. I was drawn to a lot of other places, but 
um, I, I felt like those areas, the market was already flooded in body work and herbalist, and and I felt like I had something to share with my community. And so I'd go out with these, go get these teachings and come back and share. And actually that's part of um, the Wolf Clan teaching that Grandma Twyla taught me, that as a Wolf Clan member, you you run out and you go get, you know, you go ahead of the pack and you see if it's safe, you go get the teachings and you come back and you share the knowledge with and the And you pack. bring everybody, up, you bring your pack forward then. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You take the risk and then bring it back and say it's right. okay. Wow. So there was a there was a time between baby and herbal herbalism that you also had an ovarian cyst. Do you want to? Oh, the, actually, the ovarian cyst was in my early twenties, and that's I think I was twenty one, and they told me I had an ovarian cyst, and it was the size of my fist. And when I went to the doctor, he. I just felt like the whole procedure was so inappropriate. I didn't really like um, his his response, how he was handling the situation, and it just was it just didn't seem right. And so that's when I actually started playing with, and that was right before I met Marsha. Mm-hmm. And so it it all tied in, right? I was just going inward. So I started doing these castor oil heating compress. I got into macrobiotics and just visualization, going inside. And so that's that's part of the Marsha time too. Is that it was just more of this inward. And I just didn't like how the the doctor how I felt when I left the place. And so I thought, you know what, this is time to take charge. And I, I dissolved it. That's I so felt good. like the power of you know power of the mind and changing my eating system, and just moving the energy because I ta- I was taught that sex was a dirty act. You know, my mother's sexually repressed and and you know being raped and and I just I felt like there was just all this. There's all this bad thoughts or energy, emotional energy that was stuck in my uterus. And so I just thought, wow, this is, this is a gift here. Once again, this is, I gotta, I gotta do something here. I have to empower myself. I didn't feel, I, I'm not the person that, I didn't want to go in for surgery. I felt like I wanted to try to see if I could get a handle on it. And I did. That's a fact. That must have been so, Kudos for you, huh? Oh, yes. I just, I don't know. The whole medical model has always scared me. I just, I, there's something inside of me that I've always been scared by it. And I just, I, I've always been more intrigued with the old, old ways. And I just think that our modern world, people are going too fast. And we just got to stop and go inside and see what's going on. But then that, also I ended up with Rosita Arvego in, uh, later in my late 30s doing uterine massage. Yeah, talk about that. Well, um, actually for years I was out and, uh, would go out to Boulder in New Mexico just because I just needed to be outside. And, and I actually started cooking for and massaging the herbalists that were coming, the guest herbalists that they were sending into the Rocky Mountain School of Botanical Medicine. And I met a lot of amazing women, and they told me about this woman, Rosita Arvego, that I needed to go see her. That if I'd studied with Susan, that Rosita was next. <laughs> and so Rosita was out in California, and I did a Mayan um, uh, abdominal massage with her there. And then I, it made sense to me. It really made sense whether, you know, your um, uterus was a slightly misaligned or, you know, if there were emotional issues that were stuck there, stuck energy. So then I went down to Central America and hung out with some granny midwives and Rosita in the rainforest. And we were doing spirit healing and how 
I thought was fascinating at the emotional armor bands that they were working with are very, it's similar to the chakras Mm -hmm. and how these emotions get trapped in the body. So the uterine massage is what interests me, and then I went on in and did more work with her down there. It was powerful. Once again, women coming together, healing, trying to get to a better place. All these stories that are tangled up inside of us. Mm-hmm. So that was um, my late 30s, and um, and then I, I... Did you bring your daughter with you? I did. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. You know, at five years old, she went in with me, and she walked into these healings where women are, you know, they're screaming, they're crying, they're dumping... You know, the memories. I mean, it, they, they were doing their form of somatics, getting the story out of the tissue, getting the story out of the organs. And um, she walked in on a handful of healings. She'd witness it, and then she'd walk out. But when we got back to the States, we'd encounter some people, and, and she would say, Mama, I think they need to go to Belize. She could tell that they were spirit sick. Mm-hmm. There, there was a point when I realized I, I felt like I was getting a handle on the structural piece of the body as a body worker, but I felt like there was an emotional piece. I had already studied with John Upledger doing somatics, and I wanted to go in and work with some indigenous people. And, you know, they believe that it's fear and fright, and you know, there's all these emotions that have gotten trapped in the body. And so the village healer, that's what their work was, was to help you move these um, these emotions out of the body. And what I really love is their connection to the plant medicine and how you pray to the plants and you make this holy water for yourself and you bathe yourself in it. So beautiful. Your sleep is so incredible. And so it was once again, it was that women's work coming in and, you know, playing and healing and supporting each other. And so that's that's why I was drawn to your work because I felt like that, you know, you this, this was the deepest muscle in the body. And to go that deep inside of yourself, you've got to be peeling some layers away. <laughs> Or at least get soft enough soft to be enough porous can, enough that something can actually touch you that deeply and be touched and be moved from the very depths of your core. The very core. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, I think, one of the things that is different about the way I approach it is I don't, I don't peel anything away. But what I find is that when you're when you allow yourself to be touched or to be moved, actually, so nobody's even touching you. Right, You're being right. moved from your core. That which is on the surface falls away. It just, it, it's, it's been amazing just to get out of my way, and that's what I feel like your work does for me. So it helps me get out of my way so I can soften. Hmm. Well, that is. It's, it's, uh, what Emily calls that is softening the inhibitors. The ability to, um, you know, many people want to peel things away. They want to get rid of things. They want to discharge. They want to let go. But all of that is cathartic, and it doesn't necessarily, it can leave you raw. It can leave you open. It can leave you vulnerable. It can leave you um, uh, weak. And one of the things I think that when we've been together that I see that I've combined and I think you've combined is by being inside, by getting quiet, by turning towards yourself and spending time internally and and noticing and just sensing whatever it is to be sensed, that there's a process of evocation, there's a process of invitation that allows that which is stirring in the depths of your core to come forward, and that is the wild, that is the medicine, and as that emerges, that brings the strength and the power to to look at what's happening on the surface, and 
and be moved to, to allow something deeper inside of yourself to come forward, to feel safe enough to thrive. It's not about fixing it on the outside, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> well, I, I became totally dis disenchanted by that, as I've said to you that, you know, teaching yoga through the years, you know, I just felt like this just isn't working for me. It just didn't feel right. So your internal process seemed to resonate with me. And I, it's, it's been profound for me in my body, but it's been so fun watching my students and friends really, really um, just kind of enjoying the exploration of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the play of it. Well, we always think it has to be hard work, and I, 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 it is in a way, but it isn't, you know. And hard work in like when we play with weights or we we challenge ourselves can be really play too. It can be really fun when you feel like the you feel like you have the the wherewithal, the the strength, and the strength to me starts from kind of connecting with the wild fluid, the wild water inside of oneself. Well, I've just, I haven't enjoyed, I mean, I love power. I love weights. I love, you know, pushing it. But I am so enjoying softening and playing in both realms. It's just, it's, it's profound, and it's really helped me connect. It's been a journey of, you know, I've, I've felt so disconnected in so many ways and just trying to connect and trying to find different ways to connect. Yeah, you were talking in Australia about now sensing your bones, being back in your bones. Yes, it was It was yeah. just profound. It was like, oh, I've been, you know, I've, my muscles have gotten me through my life, you know. They've, they've been there helping me, and that's how I survived. But I, I see, I've seen through the years people in the gym how stuck they are and all the repetitive nature and the yoga was that way for me also and really to get that deep into my bones it was like wow it's like I I had made it home mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah well it's almost our time is almost up it's been a wonderful journey to to hear your story and so inspiring and I I'm so excited to share this with the larger audience through my website and Facebook and stuff because Alice, you really, you really give hope to people, uh, who, you know, and at t sometimes people just need to hear that you know it's okay to follow your instincts. Like that's actually going to bring you home, you know. Yes. That you don't have to do it like the external world has it set up, the model. Like you somehow instinctively, and I'd like to hope that was your daddy giving you that wild, wild water straight from the rock, you know? Uh, you know, I really believe that. I mean, I remember flashing to that at one point. I think it was being with Stephen Bruner. I thought, that's when it happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that that made, that really impacted my journey. Drinking that wild water, so I'm all about like right now the chickweed is up. Mm -hmm. So I start eating the chickweed. The nettle starts to pop. So I eat with the seasons. I eat the wild foods, and I feel that that's something that's missing. You know, they have the four food groups, and the fifth one is wild foods. <laughs> there that's you what's go. missing. Yes, and so that's what in I in your really, backyard. Um, it's what's in your backyard. Yes, you know they just finally proved, uh, or, or there, there's lots of uh, articles out right now, on the fact that getting dirty, putting your hands in the soil, feeling the soil, just feeling it. We're not even talking about eating it yet. We're talking about feeling it, the connection, the microbes in the soil change. Your feet getting dirty change us. Yes, it changes our bacteria yes. and our brain, and it starts to create... Uh, uh, like serotonin and all these all these different chemicals that they're trying to reproduce and takes people out of depression and gives them strength. I mean, it's like science has gone full circle to what the Native Americans and and 
and indigenous people and animals know instinctively. And we're an animal and we know these things instinctively. Trusting those instincts is another thing. Well, and I think that's kind of, that. I feel like that's part of finding your way home, mm-hmm. is going for a full circle and realizing that, yeah, that exterior world isn't working, but the natural world and your internal world. And I, I love the idea that there's big nature and then there's a the little nature inside of you and how to learn how to play in both. Mm. So I think we should stop there and just make one more announcement for everybody who hears this, that um, Alice and I are actually going to duo a wild woman, warrior, Stalking the Wild Soas workshop at the end of the month from April 21st to 25th. We're going to be on um, Alice's acreage. We're going to eat the wild. We're going to move. We're going to explore. We're going to get strong. We're going to play. And you can camp if you'd like. Um, on the property and there's also some B&Bs and inns nearby so we're gonna I'm gonna I'm going to Kansas when the when the wheatgrass is what what is it doing it's well it's sexually alive it's at its highest (laughs) it's when the seed head starts going through the joint it's like the sexual peak of the plant and I mean (laughs) the energy vibrates here I don't eat wheat gluten but I drink the wheat grass (laughs) <laughs> so I'm coming to the wild of Lawrence, Kansas, or outside of Lawrence, Kansas, to uh, be with Alice. And I hope any of you who hear this would like to join us. We still have space because we've got 50 acres. So uh, we've got space for you and hope you'll join us. And thank you so much, Alice, for joining much me. Much love to you, Liz. Love to you, Beth. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining me. <laughs>